Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. And hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us this day after Thanksgiving. We hope you had a good holiday, a good safe holiday, and glad that you're with us. We continue to look back at some of the recent conversations and discussions that we've had. There's been a lot of news, a lot of things happening here as of late. Coming up on this day after Thanksgiving program, we're going to be hearing from Andrew Walmsley with the American Farm Bureau Federation. American Farm Bureau and several other groups have come together to form a coalition to address climate change. There's no doubt that as we move forward, there's going to be a lot of discussion on that, a lot of policy suggestions, and uh, some things that will be coming down that will impact agriculture. A lot of talk about a carbon bank and carbon markets and things like that. Well, this coalition, and it's an interesting coalition of groups that uh, maybe not always uh, have seen eye to eye on things in the past, but have come together to make sure they are at the table. Agriculture has a seat at the table in these discussions concerning uh, how to deal with climate change moving forward. So we hear about that and what their goals are. Also, you're going to hear from Steve Sinsky. Steve, longtime CEO of the American Soybean Association, then the last few years has been Deputy Secretary at USDA. He's now back as CEO of the American Soybean Association. I'll talk with him about his time at USDA, what he feels they were able to accomplish, and some of the frustrations he felt uh, in, in his work there as well. So that's coming up. But first, you're going to hear from Joan Ruskamp. She's a a farmer from Nebraska, one of the volunteers for the Common Ground uh, Initiative as they work to reach out and talk with consumers about where their food comes from and answer questions that consumers may have. This is the 10th anniversary for this group doing a lot of good work, and Joan explained the work of Common Ground. Well, good morning, and, and thank you for having me. Yes, we're celebrating our 10th anniversary this year. Common Ground began out of the need to have farmers and ranchers share the story of, of what's really happening in the production of food. Um, the National Corn Growers Association, along with our state corn and soybean organizations, that, those checkoff dollars help support um, training, mileage, and, and any other expenses that are incurred to um, bring basically our story to our urban friends and families. Now, Common Ground, supported by the National Corn Growers, as you said, and state corn and soybean organizations. Tell us about uh, other volunteers like yourself, how you got involved, who all is involved, and some of the things that you do. Uh, well, my husband Steve and I grow corn and soybeans and also um, have a feedlot where we finish cattle in northeast Nebraska. And I, I work on our farm. Um, like many women over the centuries, most of us silently worked um, behind the scenes um, but they found that the consumer trusted women uh, a bit more than men in, in sharing that story, and we could also connect to urban moms. And so Common Ground really seeks that commonality that women have caring for their families, growing food, and, and really um, shared values. And so we communicate those shared values with women, and like I said, we're real. Um, we live the story, and we've really become a voice for what happens on our farms and our ranches across the country. We are based in our communication style on pillars of that we're always positive, we're inclusive, um, there's no negativity about how 
the production method is. We have organic growers and conventionally used production systems. Um, we're real, like I said. We actually really are farmers and ranchers, and we're factual-based. We use science to um, share the reasons behind the decisions that we make. What are some of the questions that you get when you talk with consumers, maybe some of the concerns they have about their food? Well, for me, um, really, when it comes to um, cattle and finishing cattle, a lot of it goes around three big issues. One is use of hormones, use of antibiotics, and animal welfare. And when I'm able to um, connect in a way that allows them to trust me, and that really is sharing those values that, that it's really important to people like all of us on our farms and ranches to take care of our animals. Um, this is a priority long before people started wondering about their food. We've been, we implemented things like the Beef Quality Assurance Program to make sure anyone working with livestock was, was using the right medicine in the right manner in the right location so that we produced quality beef. And so this has been something that's a part of us long before we started having Hollywood try to tell the story from a different angle. Um, and so and with the hormones um, and explaining how and why they're used and how, how much it helps us minimize the use of resources in producing the food that we have, um, the safety measures that are put into place, um, so that it's safe for the animal, it's safe for the environment, and it's safe for the food that's that's eaten by our consumers, um, and the animal welfare. How we're continually trying to improve how we care for for animals, whether they're um, in a feedlot or out in a pasture. That the commonality of what we seek is is that we're always improving. Um, that we're always looking for ways to do this better, and our goal is to produce healthy food because we all eat food that is in the grocery store as well and have children, grandchildren, um, grandparents maybe, that we want to be able to thrive as well. Joan, how have you found your message being received by consumers? Uh, are they skeptical? Are they open to your message? How would you describe the, the response? You know, it's, it's amazing how... It, how valuable the face of farmers and ranchers can be to the story. I, I was in a grocery store one time. We do some events where we meet one-on-one -on -one with people in, in grocery stores, and a lady was walking by, and I was just about done, just about ready to put you know, my things away. And, and I saw her, and I said, hey, I'm a, I'm a farmer from, from Dodge, and I'm here in the store if you have any questions. Uh, we, have, we have cattle in a feedlot especially if you have any questions, and she just kind of, snubbed her nose at me and no I don't I don't eat any of that and walked away and I'm like okay um and then about 10 feet away she spun around and came back <laughs> and I honestly felt like she was 10 feet tall because I could feel the energy coming out of her um and I said what are your questions and really try to be positive you know people don't know and they read things on Facebook or they see movies they hear misinformation that leads them to false assumptions. And as she asked me question by question, her concerns, and I, I gave her the factual information and how important it is to us to do what is right, she literally melted in front of me. And by the time we got done, like, she's no taller than I am. <laughs> and so 
Um, just <laughs> that ability to change the energy from such negativity to acceptance. Yep. And I said, you know, you gave me 15 minutes of your time to learn the story. How do we help other people? And she just kind of put her hands on her hips and said, well, you can, you can know that I will tell all my friends because I've been the one telling them That's not great. to eat any of this. So. Yeah. yeah. Joan, Joan, we're out of time, but thank you. Great program, the great work being done by Common Ground. That's Joan Ruskamp from Dodge, Nebraska, a farmer volunteer with Common Ground. Thank you, Joan. Thank you. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. A coalition of ag, food, forestry, and environmental groups has been formed called the Food and Agriculture Climate Alliance. And this group um, dealing with issues like climate change. One of those groups is the American Farm Bureau Federation. And joining us now from AFBF is Andrew Walmsley. Andrew, thank you for joining us. Tell us about this new alliance, who's involved in it, and what's your goal? Yes, sir. Thanks for having me, Mike. Yeah, it's really groundbreaking what we announced. Uh, when you look at the, the policy issue, which is uh, around climate uh, and the controversy that that, that stirs potentially in ag and, and rural America and the groups that are involved. So uh, we launched the, the Food and Agriculture Climate Alliance with originally eight organizations as, as kind of founding members. It includes Farm Bureau, uh, Environmental Defense Fund, the Nature Conservancy, uh, our forest owners, NAFO, uh, Food Industry Association, State Departments of Ag, Farmers Union, and National Council of Former Cooperatives to kind of come together and see where we could find agreement on, a, on like I said, a, a fairly controversial issue at times. Have you been able to find common ground? Yes, and so with that, we came out with uh, almost 50 pages of, of recommendations. Uh, you can find them at the website agclimatealliance.com. We've got a little over 40 recommendations there. But our overarching goal with all of these recommendations is that they've got to work for farmers and ranchers. They're, they're voluntary, market and incentive-based policies based on science, and that promote resilience and help our rural communities become stronger. Okay, so we have seen at times a rub between agriculture's voluntary approach to issues like this and what's often more of a mandated approach by government. Do you think you can find a compromise here to make this work? Well, that's definitely our hope. You know, if we're we're not discussing these issues you know, if ag's not providing input, where bad decisions are going to be made. And I hate the cliche, and if you've been around Washington more than five minutes, you know, if you're uh, not at the table, you're on the table. We figured we should start setting the table around this discussion. Uh, when you look at both what's happening in the private sector and commitments by, you know, businesses that impact agri- agriculture, when you look at the full va- food value chain, to obviously the policy discussions that are gearing up with a new administration, uh, with the next Congress, you know, we saw these tea leaves, you know, forming almost a year ago when we put the group together. Uh, and we've been working for really the last six months to try to find policies that work for American agriculture. That, you know, if you are sincere about wanting to work in this space, you know, from an environmental community, here are things that can make a difference and things that will hopefully in the long run make our farmers stronger and more resilient and provide additional societal benefits. We're talking with Andrew Walmsley with the American Farm Bureau Federation, AFBF, one of the groups in the new Food and Agriculture Climate Alliance. All right, Andrew, a lot of talk about a carbon bank and carbon markets. How do you uh, approach that? Uh, do you have? Does your group have a recommendation on those? 
So we definitely don't have all the answers, and, and we're looking to, to work with partners. But we definitely think you know, markets, uh, particularly private markets, are going to be key to making this work. Uh, we obviously need the science and research to figure out how it actually works, you know, to make sure from a sequestration standpoint that those that might be purchasing credits are, are confident in those, but also in a way that the verification costs don't don't eat up any profitability for farmers as well. And so, you know, it's a hybrid model where we're wanting to work with the private sector, but there's obviously a role for the, the public sector. And, and really high level, there was two tracks we were looking at, you know, these carbon markets, particularly a carbon bank at USDA, you know, it's for some of our larger landowners, those that are really innovative, they're going to go chase that ton that they can sequester or that ton of carbon equivalent that they can destroy. You know, we want to set up that marketplace for them. And then the other idea is working within the sphere that we've traditionally had within RCS and USDA is, you know, for either the smaller landowners or those farmers that say, man, you know, I just, I want to do a little bit better. I'm focused on farming. Can somebody help me along the way? You know, there's that track as well to work through NRCS and look at NRCS programs that, that can help farmers you know, be better stewards in this space. This may bring back memories, and not necessarily good memories either, of cap and trade. How do you avoid the mistakes made with that several years ago? Yeah, that discussion was obviously ripe about 10 years ago. You know, the world has definitely changed since then. I don't believe, you know, some of the tactics that were used then, some of the allies that were maybe around that issue don't exist today. I think you see too much gearing up for action, either once again in the private sector or from policy at the state and federal level. You know, agriculture's got to be engaged in this. What The one thing that hasn't changed, and particularly for American Farm Bureau Federation, you know, Mike, that we are policy-driven from our grassroots members, and we are not deviating from that. You know, we have tried to work in a space in, in the for-support policy area with this project, but we still have clear lines drawn on things with, that we would oppose, and, and things like cap-and-trade or carbon tax would be detrimental to ag, and, and we'll work, you know, to, to kill bad policy proposals like that. But if for folks that are wanting to, to work and, and move incrementally and start really making a change in this space to help support farmers, you know, we think these 40 recommendations with the Food and Agriculture Climate Alliance is a good start. You're obviously reaching out to members of Congress and potentially a new Biden administration to show agriculture's willingness to work on these areas, as you said, with a voluntary approach, also pointing out what has been done, is being done, and what agriculture can do. History tells us there will be those, though, in the environmental community that will almost immediately say, that's not enough, you're not going far enough, more has to be done, uh, and will propose some things that that will probably not be very uh, acceptable to the ag community. So that seemingly is where the potential rub is going to be, if history is any indicator. So those will be some of the rough spots you're going to have to work through. Without a doubt. I mean, uh, I think there's a saying that, you know, uh, planting the seeds the, the easiest day. We planted a seed yesterday and now we're on to harvest and we've got a long way to go to get there. But I think what's key about this group is that this is really the first time that environmental groups, you know, Environmental Defense Fund, Nature Conservancy, uh, has, has come to the ag community to, ha- to have a dialogue. And like I said, we've come together on about 40 recommendations. You know, one of the key things in Washington is to have a broad coalition to work on issues. And there absolutely will be the naysayers that, that are out there, but uh, we're hoping to expand our tent. We had over 400 stakeholders log into our announcement yesterday. Uh, you know, this group's open to new membership. We, we want to bring in more of the ag community. We want to bring in more of the environmental community. And at the end of the day, it's going to have to be a balanced policy approach for, for Congress to consider 
that's going to benefit all. And, and we'll just have to, to work through those setbacks. We know there's going to be challenges, that it won't be enough, but it's what will work for agriculture, hopefully. I would agree that the approach that you're taking and the alliance that you have formed, which includes some of the groups that may have been those naysayers in the past or critics of agriculture, being part of that alliance, I would think would help overcome some of these issues and put you in a better position to make these proposals to Congress and the administration. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, every, every, you know, when you look at agriculture, we're, you know, farmers and ranchers are less than than 2% of the population. Uh, And and to make sure that our voice is heard, it's it's about working in alliances and and trying to work across the aisle uh, while also being, being true to your members and, and your mission. And that's what we're trying to, to achieve here. Uh, knowing that this debate is coming, and we're just trying to best position ourselves to make a difference, to provide the societal benefits that consumers are expecting, but also ensuring that that our farmers and ranchers are sustainable, which, you know, at the basis is economic viability. You know, we got to always keep that in mind as well. Yeah, so often some of these proposals have seemed to those in the ag community as things that would put them out of business. So finding a way to achieve the goals and stay in business, uh, that's going to be the key. What's your next step? Well, uh, next steps is uh, we're going to be talking to the Biden transition team. We did a lot of outreach over the last two days to the, the Hill and Senate and, and the USDA. You know, like I mentioned, we had our big stakeholder call yesterday afternoon. Uh, we're inviting other groups in, and so we're hoping to build our, our membership base. And we basically turn to advocacy now. Uh, we gear up for a new administration and the 117th Congress that, that convenes in January uh, you know, we've got these proposals out there. It, it's time to educate. It's time to work together and see, you know, what opportunities lay down the road. You know, if we end up with a divided Congress, I doubt we'll see a, a major climate bill, which will probably bode well for agriculture. But there'll be opportunities in the appropriation process. We've got a farm bill coming up in 2023. It's starting to lay the groundwork for, for these types of legislation that we'll be working on in the future. And no doubt these issues, these environmental issues, are going to be key moving forward. And there's going to be policy coming down that will certainly impact agriculture. As you said, that's why it's important to be part of the process in informing those policies. Yeah, absolutely correct. I mean, you know, the one thing that that we like folks to realize, you know, when when you talk about this space and greenhouse gas emissions, you know, U.S. ag is less than 10 percent. You know, the world is closer to 25 percent. One of the reasons I think there's such a huge difference there is that we have been very much voluntary incentive-based. We've got a strong foundation of innovation. You look, the last two generations or so, we've increased our output in American agriculture by over 270% while our inputs have remained flat. That's a huge story. That's what we've got to continue to build on and make sure we have common sense policies going forward in, in the sustainability space. Yeah, and to make sure that agriculture's voice is heard in this discussion. Andrew, thank you for the update. We'll, we'll look forward to talking with you more about this. Absolutely. Thank you. Andrew Walmsley with the American Farm Bureau Federation, AFBF, one of the groups in the new Food and Agriculture Climate Alliance. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, as always, harvest was a race to the finish, and uh, now winter is on its way. Hopefully work will be settling down for most folks, but 
Of course, it doesn't stop completely. And running equipment in the winter takes extra precaution in order to keep it protected. Today, we're talking with Chad Christensen, a premium diesel expert from Cinex, the energy brand of CHS, to talk about how your fuel can make a particularly a significant difference to the health of your machines during these cold months. Chad, why is this right now such a good time of year to take a look at your fuel supply? Well, I, th- I think it's always a good time to be mindful of your of your fuel, and, and both ra- harvest wrapping up and across the country and, and temperatures dropping, there's still a lot of work to do on the farm. And your equipment, you know, it only runs as well as the fuel that's inside of it. And so, you know, whether you're feeding livestock or wrapping up some fall field work or just clearing snow, your equipment is still being used in a lot of cases out there. And, and, and winter has some of the most demanding conditions on equipment and, and fuel systems. So what are some of the issues that winter can cause with fuel systems? Well, I think there's a host of is- issues that we commonly see when when Mother Nature leaves the door open, the temperatures start to drop and, and winter sets in. And, and really the first uh, is being that equipment, it just won't start. Uh, and, and that's caused by a few different reasons. Uh, the first being filter blocking due to fuel gelling, uh, or maybe water has settled in uh, to the bottom of that fuel filter and is choking choking that fuel off to your piece of equipment. And so, so ahead of those really cold temperatures, I think you you need to understand your cold uh, your fuel's cold weather characteristics, and that's starting with the cloud point or or the temperature at which you're going to see those wax crystals begin to form, uh, making that diesel cloudy. Uh, and, and then understanding the fuel CFPP or the cold filter plugging point, and, and that's the temperature when your temperature when your fuel filter becomes blocked and, and just won't allow any fuel uh, through it to your piece of equipment. Um, but also remember that that CFPP test, it's a dated test and it's done through a 45 micron filter, and, and so it's it's much larger than what you're seeing in your actual equipment's. Uh, fuel system. So, so you really want to work with your local fuel provider to, to choose the right fuel. So Chad, is there anything equipment owners can do to help prevent those issues from occurring? Yeah, absolutely. I'd, I'd recommend implementing a regular tank maintenance program to eliminate the water and contaminants. And then, and then couple that with switching to a winterized premium diesel like Cinex Winter Master. This is this will drastically reduce issues associated with with colder temperatures this winter. Wintermaster is built for extreme cold. It's a it's a blend of Cinex Premium Diesel and Number One Premium Diesel, and it's injected with the most complete additive package on the market. And so our storage stabilizer will reduce the breakdown of the fuel and extend the extend the length of the time it can be stored. And then our cetane improver means faster starts on those cold mornings. And then lastly, our cold flow improver, it's going to keep that wax suspended in the in the fuel and then prevent it from settling down to the bottom of your tank and, and plugging those filters, costing you money and, and causing that dreaded downtime. So Wintermaster keeps you running at, at temps of 30 degrees below zero. So so make sure you talk to your local Cinex premium diesel dealer to, to bring you Wintermaster or another one of our winterized premium diesel offerings and, and if you always if you have any questions visit us at synex.com yeah those are important steps that can be taken now to uh, prevent problems down the line so good information from chad christensen thanks chad yeah absolutely thanks for having me mike chad christensen a premium diesel expert from synex the energy brand of chs
And joining us now is the president-elect of the National Pork Producers Council, Jen Sorensen, to tell us about the Give a Ham Challenge. Jen, thanks for joining us. Tell us about this. Oh, this is a big day for the U.S. pork industry, Mike. We're excited to launch our national Give a Ham uh, Challenge, which is our holiday giving program where U.S. hog farmers uh, contribute back to the communities they support. You know, this is a core value for U.S. pork producers, and we're happy to celebrate it and champion it through the, the Give a Ham Challenge, which is a social media campaign, but ultimately Hopefully, we'll get uh, over 2 million servings of pork into local food pantries, community shelves, and community organizations. Well, we know there's a great need right now, and hopefully this will will help fill that need. How do uh, pork producers get involved in this and participate? There is a tremendous need right now, and I've, I've never met a food pantry that isn't low on protein. Uh, so this is a really good example of uh, producers having the opportunity to give back into into their communities. You know, participating is really easy. All you have to do is open your heart and, and give a pork product. It could be ham, it could be pork loin, any pork product, any protein product into a food pantry and then pop it up on social media and use that hashtag give a ham and you'll connect with the, the campaign. And we also encourage producers to uh, challenge somebody else that they know. It could be a fellow producer, it could be a supplier, or someone else in the pork industry. Last year we had over a thousand producers participating and we're hoping to double that this year. This would be in addition to the uh, assistance that pork producers have already given this year. They've uh, really stepped up, so we hope this will add to that. <laughs> we do. You know, producers are always giving no matter no matter what the, the business climate is. I know as Iowa Select Farms we had a really big giving year, especially the spring and summer as, as produce as people lost their jobs and there was more need, you know, as schools were closing. And so, yeah, producers are always giving back uh, and engaged in their local to me communities. And this is just a time period that we can highlight it and celebrate it uh, so people can see the good work happening uh, with U.S. hog farmers. Jen, as always, thank you for being with us, and we encourage producers to uh, be involved with the Give a Ham Challenge. Thanks a lot. Thanks so much, Mike. And with that, we'll wrap it up for today. Again, hope your holiday weekend is going well. We thank you very much for being with us. Stay safe, everyone. Enjoy the Thanksgiving weekend, but please stay safe. Hope you'll join us Monday right here on AOA, Adams on Agriculture. 